What is on your Christmas list this year? A doll? A new bike? Maybe an ugly sweater? Well, if you said for Chevy Chase to describe the night terrors of a young boy, then you're in luck this week. There's 296 days until Christmas, and you're listening to The Christmas of a Lifetime. Let's bring the Christmas spirit in the air, the air, and let's turn the lights down low, and make some hot cocoa, and watch the falling snow, and look at the beautiful Christmas lights, look at our favorite Christmas movies, buy the presents under the Christmas tree, so join us to have Christmas of a Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast, The Christmas of a Lifetime. I'm your host, Jacob Osterman, and with me, as always, is my brother, Jesse Austin Brenneman. Hello, Jesse. Merry Christmas, Jacob. Um, Very excited to talk about today's movie. Just a a lot to get into. (laughs) It's very different than what we have watched before. So normally, we're talking big city, we're talking small town USA, we're getting onto Main Street. We're getting some Christmas events happening. We're getting town traditions. And this is this is taking us to a different era. This is taking to a different style of movie completely. Frankly, I'm surprised that this is a Lifetime original Christmas movie. <laughs> it doesn't feel like one at all. The closest movie, and it's really not close, the closest movie is on the second day of Christmas in terms yeah. of uh, digression from the Lifetime original Christmas movie formula. But this movie is... If if on the second day of Christmas is a seven, this movie is a twelve. Yes, absolutely. In terms of how it digresses, yeah, it is. It is many standard deviations away from the mean <laughs> here. Here's what I want us to, to open with, though, Jacob. So the movie we're okay. going to talk about today, of course, is wishing, wishing, and hoping. So no G. We got to be very careful to enunciate. <laughs> Wish, wishing and hoping. Wishing and hoping. Of course, the title of the classic Dusty Springfield track from 1964. Yeah. Right. So we're talking about that movie, and it is based upon a book by the novelist Wally Lamb. Wishing and Hoping. Also titled Wishing and Hoping, subtitle A Christmas Story. Okay. So I saw this movie title, and I got really excited. You know, we're going to see some digression because it's based on an existing work, much in the right. same way that Every Day is Christmas was based on A Christmas Carol by. Charles Dickens. An abridged version. An abridged version of that. And I just, Jacob, I want you to let the listeners know, what kind of preparation did you do for this pod? Jesse, the work that I put in was, and this is, I do this for all the movies that we watch, is going on the Wikipedia page. This movie does not have a Wikipedia page. All right. right. Let me pause you there. Let me pause you there. Just so the listeners know who's really dedicated to bringing in the information for them. Because I'm holding in my hand right here, Jacob. <laughs> you have an actual this copy. This is a copy of the book by Wally Lamb, Wishing and Hoping, that I have read several times now. It's not that long, actually. It's only a couple hundred pages. In order to really get the true understanding of what was going on in this movie, because I did not understand by just watching it. That You've actually read the book. I read the book. I love to compare <laughs> books to movies. And in this case, it was necessary just to understand what happened in the movie. Okay. So well, Jesse, that's um, what I'm bringing up to you today. If you give me, if you give me two seconds, yeah. I also brought something. Okay. So I left What's it upstairs. So okay. Give me two seconds. All right. I know it's not December 25th. Yeah. But 
It's always Christmas in my heart. So yeah, it's I got true. You, a little, you got me a little, got you a little something. What did, what did you get me? Well, I know you've told me that there's winter storms coming, so yeah. I didn't want you to lose power. <laughs> got me so, a little angel. <laughs> got a little black angel here for you. It's a tree topper. Gonna mail that out, Jesse. Yeah, you gotta mail that out to me immediately. So, hold on, Jesse. It's flickering. The lights are flickering. There might no, be a fire. Jesse, I'm hearing jingle bells. Yeah? I think I found the perfect present for you, Jesse. Yeah? Leprechaun Nutcracker, Jesse. Someone actually made that. They that's actually amazing. made that. I got one. I got it for you here. So oh, that's gonna, I'm gonna ship that out wow. to you, so that you can uh, you can enjoy. Jacob, I don't know if you knew uh, this, but Christmas. my new daughter-in-law, she's from Ireland, and we oh, collect nutcrackers. So it's it's impressive you were able to this pick that perfect. up. This is perfect. This is perfect. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, look, every day is Christmas here, so. I think we can so do that. So when, when you ask when you ask what work I do for the pod, yeah, ahead of I, time. look, wow, that is that is some a high level of antiquing that you put in there, finding the perfect Christmas present. I saw it and I just I knew I had to get it for you, Jesse. <laughs> look, I'm a globetrotter and I need some memories of home. I looked for I a viewfinder, could not find yeah, one. No, they're they, very hard. You do not sell them in stores. No. You have to get it online. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard to find. All right, well, <laughs> with that, with that exchange complete, let's let's get right into it and get to our stocking stuffer. I know, no doubt, Jesse, that you have something for me. You've been you've been teasing me all week. Been saying I'm gonna save it for the pod, but Jesse, yes, Jacob, I got something for you. What, I have, what is it, I Jesse? have so many things for you. The stocking you... is so full this week. Okay, so in this segment, we have a little piece of trivia, something connected to the movie. A, a moose bouche. Yes, an, Jesse, a moose bouche. Okay. Yes. For, All right. For and say. I think that's a per- particularly appropriate for this week because that is a Quebecois term, <laughs> and we know that this movie is mostly in Quebecois. It, it, it features heavily, heavily the Quebecois. Uh, Language and, and culture. That's correct. Yes. So, so Jacob, I have, I have a couple things. So the first thing is, just right off the bat, let's just mention that Wally Lamb, although he's a best-selling novelist, his work has defied adaptation into film or TV. I, after watching this movie, I can see why. Yeah, so it's very difficult to capture the nuance and condense it into this medium. Yeah, However, I, I will it. say that his other, you know, smash hit, I know... This Much is True, which is about a pair of brothers, one of whom is a paranoid schizophrenic, and their interactions and relationship and growth was a little made... bit of different, a little, little bit different, a little different focus. One. So it's the only other thing by Wally Lamb that has been adapted, and was made in 2020 as an HBO miniseries, a prestige drama miniseries on mm-hmm. on HBO limited series, starring, of course, our favorite adventure, Mark Ruffalo, also star of <laughs> Second Day of Christmas. So, Jesse, I only think of him as the star of Second Day of Christmas now. I, I know, I know. I, I consider him a Christmas star on, on level he, that's of you know, like, your MJH, he's, your KKP. He's number one. He's number one in terms <laughs> of that's what you think of Free Association Christmas Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. So he's also in this. So he's another <laughs> Wally Lamb regular. But that's just the surface level when we come to this movie. Because this movie okay. is way crazier than anything we have done so far. And so, I, I mean, Jesse, my, my favorite piece of trivia, I did, I did okay. look up some information sure. about this. About what, what do you have? My most interesting thing that I found was that Meatloaf has a supporting role in mm-hmm. this character. Yes, in this as movie. Monsignor. Uh, 
as Monsignor Meatloaf. And this is actually his final role on the silver screen. This was his swan song. He lived for eight years after this movie. <laughs> he just didn't do any other movies. Yeah. He did this, said, I've reached the pinnacle of my film career. And yeah, left we're going to leave it out on a, this one. Go out on a, a high note. Swan song. Go exactly. out on a high note. All right, Jacob. Well, here's what I did. So I... I really was connecting to the Dusty Springfield track in this movie. So I went to YouTube right. and I okay. was like, let me just listen to this while I'm reading my, you know, I'm reading the book, Wishing and Hoping. And yeah. I just have Dusty Springfield on loop. And okay. I just happened to catch the following top comment on YouTube about the Dusty Springfield track from 1964, Wishing and Hoping. Bill Chambers said in 2016, this song always takes me back to the summer of 1964. Okay, summer of 1964. Okay. okay. Not Christmas. Yeah. I'm like, not Bill, Christmas is... this makes me think of Christmas, not summer, so I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. certainly. I had graduated from college in June and was waiting to start my first teaching job in August. My younger brother graduated from high school in May and would go into the Navy in September. He had his first girlfriend, and we would all ride around with this song blasting from the car radio. KIOA in Des Moines was the station back then. What memories? Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Jacob. This book yep. involves sailors, it's involving junior midshipmen, it's involving your first girlfriend. The song is, is on the radio. Actually, I think this, this guy, I think, I think it should have been, he says Bill Chambers, but I'm assuming it was actually Felix Funicello yeah, that wrote exactly. this. The reply from Danny from two months ago, that's so amazing, 2021, and I'm replying to you, emoticon. <laughs> <laughs> So a little bit of a different generational expression, I think, examined there. So that's just a you little... Know, it's, this movie is touching, zoomers, Jesse. touching a lot of hearts and minds, taking us back to that magical summer of... Well, excuse me, magical Christmas <laughs> of 1964. I'm sure Wishing and Hoping was on the bil Billboard Top 40 for a long time. That's sure, right. Sure it was throughout. Too. It was actually, yeah, it was one of her top hits. But Jacob, I thought that was pretty good. Right? I was okay. like, okay, okay, YouTube, this this looks great. But you know that the Google algorithm for YouTube is amazing and is of always going to give you the best related video. So yeah. I'm going to share something with you, and we can listen to it because it's, it's going to be an audio clip, but you're going to be able to see the visuals. We'll put a link up to okay. it on our Twitter. But what I'm going to share for you right now, Jacob, is that the Reindeer Andy show was actually a real show in Connecticut from 1957 to 1968. And let's just take a listen. It's time for the Ranger Andy Show. My name is Ranger Andy, and I've traveled all around. And I am writing you a song about the things I've found. I'll sing about the mysteries of animals galore. And hope to tell you many things you never knew before. Come along. <laughs> These children are going to be in for a shock with <laughs> Ranger Andy. Uh, Phoenix Villachella shows up. This could be his big break, Jesse. <laughs> I, so this is like back when you could have like a local live television show, just have kids on from the local community. Yeah. It's like public access television, but it's CBS. So Ranger Andy. I'm also surprised because that was much better quality singing than the Ranger Andy in. The, so in they the actually movie we they actually intercut. Real clips from Ranger Andy from the Ranger Andy show with stuff they filmed for the movie. Incredible. 
So pretty amazing stuff here, Ranger Andy being a real show. So that's my stocking stuffer for you, okay. is that I just have that song, that intro song now on loop. Maybe we should use it as our intro. Can we get the rights to that? I don't know. We abs- we're we absolutely not. <laughs> if anybody listens to this, which thankfully so far, then we will get shut down via yeah. copyright strike. That's true for the Ranger Andy show. But anyways, so that's my stocking stuffer for you. We should just Thank continue you, to watch Ranger Andy shows in hopes that there will be a very dirty joke. On, on That's our next down. podcast, I think, is the Ranger Andy Roundup. Yeah, the Ranger Andy Roundup. <laughs> recapping, <laughs> recapping all of the episodes from 1957 to 1968. 11 years of Ranger Andy. This week, uh, Miracle Spa on 2nd Street has a... <laughs> Stops by, <laughs> stops by the ranger, rangers. What would they call it? The is clubhouse, the ranger clubhouse, yeah. the log cabin, the ranger's cabin, and you know talks about their twenty percent special. It's real wood, Jesse. Oh, very sturdy. Yeah, very sturdy. Real wood. Okay. Well, as all of our listeners know, yeah. every week on this podcast we watch a new original lifetime Christmas movie. And we really like to think about it, dive deep into it, really understand it so we can understand Christmas better. And this week, the reason for the season, as we've mentioned, is 2014's Wishing and Hoping. This movie, Jesse... It stars as the narrator Chevy Chase, which was a huge get, I think, for the movie. Really elevated it. Mm-hmm. It also stars Molly Ringwald. Sherry O'Terry. Sherry O'Terry. We've got Meatloaf, as I said, as a supporting role. Not a cameo. This is a larger role than just mm-hmm. a cameo. And it was a surprise, I think, is the best way for me to describe it. <laughs> I, you know, we went into this knowing it was going to be a period piece. It's set in the 60s. -hmm. We knew that it wasn't going to be the traditional Lifetime original Christmas movie formula because it follows a teenage, a preteen boy. I think he's 11. Uh, Yeah, he's 10, Uh, I think. But yes. He's 10. And so we knew it wasn't going to be kind of the standard fare. But Jesse, this was a much wider swing (laughs) than even I was anticipating going into it. That's right. Well, let's get right into it, Jacob, so that because it is very difficult, you have to order the DVD. There was actually, we got one, a Region 5 <laughs> version from Australia that had four Lifetime Christmas movies, of which one of them was Wishing and Hoping. I actually wonder a lot about those Australians and Kiwis who are getting that, expecting Lifetime original <laughs> Christmas movie. They have three regular ones, other ones that we will discuss on this pod, and then Wishing and, and Hoping, then, which is going to be yeah. completely out of left field. So it's a weird collection. It it's strange. I <laughs> you gotta you gotta wonder. It it's not available on Amazon Prime. It's not available for streaming anywhere in the U.S. But it was heavily so. promoted when it came out. So I don't know if like since 2014 they've realized that maybe this wasn't a a, a great swing. <laughs> they didn't. Uh, I'm not they sure. They didn't want this associated with their brand. So maybe they took another approach to it. Yeah. Who uh, knows. Whatever the case, whether it's not being able to clear the Dusty Springfield rights, music rights, or whatever it is, not, it's very hard to get, so you have to get your hand on a hard copy. All right, so let's get into it, because people aren't going to be able to watch this, most likely. Let's go ahead and and discuss what happens. So we opens this whole movie centers around the life and times 
of this fifth grader, Felix Funicello, in New London, Connecticut. So very highly localized to New London, Connecticut. That is something that you see with these Lockhams. You see that they are, for good or for ill, situated in a real place most of the time. Yeah, most of these movies this is that a seen real place a and real a real time also, so yes. 1964. So it's just highly specific. So there's a lot yes. of reference. We've mentioned uh, Ranger Andy. So the Ranger Andy show is a local television show that people outside of Connecticut who were not living in Connecticut in the 60s would not have known about. It's set at a Catholic school, so he's attending a parochial school called St. Aloysius Gonzaga's Catholic School. And the movie opens where they're in their fifth grade classroom, <laughs> and the nuns are, all the teachers are nuns. And the nun seems very high strung. So she's a little bit of a nervous... Excitable. Excitable. I think. And Felix and his buddy Lonnie, who's his best friend, turns out has been held back two times. So he's actually 13 or 12. He's... I think he's 12. He's 12. He's 12. He's... And they're shooting spitballs uh, at each other and at, at other people. And Felix realizes that there's some sort of brown animal in the corner near the PA system. And he shoots at the animal, and turns out it's a bat that's in the room. So first of all, they should all be getting rabies shots. But second of all... Well, this is the 60s, Jesse, so I don't even think that rabies, they even were thinking about that in terms of child safety. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. But regardless, they shoot the bat. It flies around, starts <laughs> flying around the nun, uh, Sister Dymphna. And Sister Dymphna goes nuts and starts calling it the devil. And she's trying to protect the children from this attack of the literal devil in the form yes. of a bat. And yes. so she just loses her mind, has a mental breakdown and has to get escorted away. And I'm going to say I'm going to say Jesse that yeah. if she were in this movie more, she would have been a shoe-in for Holiday Ham. Oh, Unfortunately, absolutely. she gets upstaged yeah. well, almost immediately. That's right. But she was a strong contender at the beginning. That's absolutely true. And so she gets taken away, gets sent to the loony bin, and in her place becomes Mother Agrippa, who is one of the sort of leading nuns in this parochial school. And she is a real big authoritarian. And so she's cracking down on the spitball. She's cracking down and, and you know, really making everybody just do their work. And it turns out that as part of this process, she's just there temporarily because she's like the vice principal, I guess. Yeah. of the Catholic school. I wasn't sure of the whole nun hierarchy. I know that Mother Philomena is the head of the order and of the school, and then there's Mother Agrippa. But at the end of the day, they find out that she's going to be replaced as by a long-term substitute, a certain Madame Frechette, who is <laughs> from Quebec. It's unexplained why she's in New London, Connecticut. She's just there. She shows up. She shows up for to teach at this parochial school. And she's going to obviously be quite different than the nuns because A, she's not a nun. She's not wearing a habit. But B, you know, she's going to be dressed differently and just have a different entire Quebecois culture. Right? So she's going to be coming in. But before we get to that, Felix uh, goes home to tell about his adventures of the day to his family and we get to meet his family. Now, Jesse, this is the point in the movie where I realized what Lifetime was going for when they ordered production of this movie. Mm -hmm. Because this movie, for the entire course of it, is narrated by Chevy Chase, who is playing Felix Funicello as an adult. And I realized when they transitioned to the home life and it started introducing his family, that Lifetime was looking for an answer to TCM's 
A Christmas Story. That movie that plays on repeat every Christmas. There's a 24-hour marathon. And it's just a loosely connected series of slice of lifestyle stories about a young boy narrated by himself in the future. And that's what this movie is really starting to go for and really picks up when you are introduced to his family. Now, his father runs a lunch counter. Mm -hmm. Again, very localizing it to the time period. This is not something that we really have nowadays. You know, we have some retro stuff. So let's just be clear here. It's a lunch counter, so a diner, inside the bus depot at, at in New London, Connecticut, right? And it's run by their dad. And I just want to give you... So this is where I'm going to have to deviate from the movie for a moment, okay? okay so in okay. the movie, when we see the scene with the dad, we're going to meet the cook, Chino, right? Mm-hmm. Who's a bit of a, you know, a ribald he's a bit influence. Of a bad boy. He's sort of he's like a... He's a, a bit of a bad boy. Yeah, he's a bad boy influence on, on Felix. And in this scene, he's, you know talking to some sailors who are coming through, traveling through the bus depot, right? But what I want to deviate for, so the people we meet in the movie are the two sailors. Chino tells the sailors a dirty joke, which then becomes really important in Felix's life because he doesn't understand why it's a dirty joke. And in fact, most of this movie is like adult things happening that Felix doesn't understand and actually never comes to understand. So it's a coming-of-mage movie where he doesn't actually come of age. Where he just remains a child, in my view. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, th- I mean that's exact. I think that's exactly right, Jesse. The w- and we'll we'll talk about this more once we get to the themes mm-hmm. of the of the movie. But this movie is going to rank a little bit lower on the list for me in terms of uh, comparing it to the other Christmas movies we've watched because Felix doesn't really undergo a character arc. He's a very static character, yeah. and in fact, most of the people in this movie are very static characters i think the greatest change we actually see is from lonnie who i think does come of age yeah. in this movie so 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 the the whole movie is just putting felix in these situations where adult themes and issues and com- complexity of life exist and it just goes right over felix's head and he's like what is happening i'm so confused i know yeah. something adult is happening here but I'm not sure what. So, for example, in this one, you know, Chino tells a joke to the sailors where he's like, what's a woman, how is a woman like an I, oven? Oh, yeah, this is, I don't even know if we should if we should tell the answer. Jake, we have to tell the answer. But, it's key to this whole story. All right, well, for the for those of we you have who have young children us, at home, yeah, I'm sorry us. for the discussion you're going to have to have with them after this. But okay. So, yeah, any of our younger listeners are going to want to turn <laughs> off now. Ear, earmuffs, earmuffs, all the younger listeners. Yeah. So how is a woman like an oven? You have to warm her up before you stick the meatloaf in. Now that's just get it, not Jesse. a funny joke. It, it's I not a funny joke. Jacob, the point is that people have sex. This is the point. Oh my, what? <laughs> oh my God. Oh. I, he told this on national television, Jesse. Yeah, that's later, okay? But right now, <laughs> right. he's hearing this from Chino. Chino's telling the sailors who laugh because they're sailors, and we all know that sailors are body, right? Like, yeah. they, 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 tell, they tell lots of dirty jokes because they're sailors. They're out on the sea. This is what they do, yeah. right? Now, here's the thing, Jacob. So that's what happens in the movie, right? Okay. And actually, as we, as we move forward in this, you know, he starts to think about, okay, like, What's French kissing? 
she knows explaining what French kissing is. And then he tried. Which was weird. Which is that also weird. weird that you would explain to a 10 year old, like, let me explain to you what French kissing is. But I guess this is what happened in the 60s. And then he tries to make out with a poster. Felix Funicello. Yeah, Felix, Felix Funicello, the child, while he's operating a fryer later, a deep fryer, making himself French fries. He tries to make out with the Annette Funicello, who is his cousin, let's not forget, but is a movie star, yeah. distant cousin who's a movie star, makes out with her poster and drops his tie in the fryer and ruins his like school uniform tie, clip-on tie. Right. And that's sort of what happens in that scene. This then drives most of the major conflicts of this movie. A, telling the dirty joke to multiple people and not understanding that it's dirty or why. Doesn't really understand what's going on. And two, the fact that he's always messing up stuff about his school uniform and getting in trouble at school. Yes. Jacob, I wish that they had followed the book more closely. Now, most of the dialogue is taken directly from the book. So the joke, all of the mannerisms, everything is directly from it. But let me just tell you the cast of characters... Okay. Okay. The cast of characters in the book that are regulars at this lunch counter at the bus depot. Okay. So I, okay. I want to read you the short. So here are the people that exist at the at the in the bus depot at the lunch counter eating cheeseburgers. So there's Spiro Sideropoulos, who runs the elite barbershop next door. He's not in the okay. movie. Okay. Like maybe you cut him. Cowboy Zupnik, the parking lot manager, who wears a fringed leather jacket, snakes in boots, and a yarmulke. How is he not in the movie? <laughs> I ask you. That, that that just leaps right off the page to the screen, right? I've, I've got a picture in my head exactly of what this guy looks like. Jacob, here's my favorite one. Cindy Cream Cheese, the obese go-go girl who danced in a cage at Hoot and Nanny Hoot and always ate, ordered the same thing, a vanilla Coke, pepperoni omelet, and an Annette for dessert where Annette was a special creation of the diner which was a hot fudge brownie sundae with two <laughs> Oreos to make it look like Annette Funicello's musketeer ears. Jesse, I'm not going to lie to you. I would crush a pepperoni on it right now. <laughs> All right, that sounds delicious. Look, I'm not saying Cindy Cream Cheese is wrong. She's got great ordering <laughs> taste. All right? But... You just wish she had been in the movie. That was, I'm saying I she mean, should have been have, in the movie. I would have accepted even a non-speaking I, part I where think it just pans just, over her. I just the, think the they have movies. everybody in there. They're seeing the... Oh, you know who else I forgot? I'm sorry. We're one more person. <laughs> Reverend Peavy, another regular, ha- had stopped in earlier, but hadn't stayed when there were no sailors for him to do his missionary work on. Now, throughout the book, Reverend Peavy shows up, and it's highly suggested that he's doing missionary work in quotes... Meaning he's actually sleeping with the young sailors, okay? And, like, Felix doesn't understand why the reverend and the sailors are always going somewhere else to their room to pray all the time. And it's just never explained. So, I'm just saying, this is a lively cast of characters. I would go for, like, a Cheers-like sitcom based on this lunch depot at New New, New London, Connecticut bus depot. I mean, think of the, the hijinks that could happen. Out. I think that they're missing out on some texture, some real... Yeah, some real local uh, texture. Local texture I, I will say that I'm not surprised. The production company is called Synthetic Cinema Limited. Okay. <laughs> that produced this movie. And in an interview, Wally Lamb is... I watched a video of him for, for his alma mater, UConn. So he's from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Where he says, yeah, it was really great working with the people from Synthetic Cinema. They were just really great to work with. I was like, we don't even name the director here? Like, come on, what are we doing? <laughs> I mean, I, I think you and I can both understand that if your name is not 
a Melissa Joan Hart. Yeah, or maybe you don't Knight have Pulliam. it attached. You're, you don't have that kind of you don't have that kind of creative pull. Yeah, it's really the studio that's doing the work. Well, I see why they picked Wishing and Hoping because it just had such a lively cast of characters, and I know they were cut for time. But I just wish we had seen a little bit more of it in the bus depot. I think we could have just had some people that really been, adding local color. Better. You know, what about those go-go dancers from Hoot and Nanny Hoot down the street? <laughs> that would have raised more adult questions that Felix was unprepared to answer, Jesse. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So All right, well, thank you. Thank you for that. I think so. Let's let's keep going. Okay. So Felix, uh, Felix and his friend Lonnie head home after a day of school. You know, they have this new, they have this new French Quebecois teacher who is... Uh, played by Molly really, Ringwald. Played by Molly Ringwald, doing an amazing job. Yeah. Who really upends the established order of things. In this classroom, all the students sit in order of their class ranking. Felix is second. His eternal rival... And nemesis. Was, and nemesis. Rosalie Rosalie Twersky. Who is referred to as Rosalie Turdsky throughout the book. Yeah. So great, great work. Great, great work. work all day mm-hmm. from these students. Rosalie Twersky is first in the class and is constantly doing extra credit work, such as a poster on all of the mortal sins and how you can avoid going to hell. Well, so in the book, Rosalie Twersky, like her dad runs Twersky Impressions, which is mentioned in the movie later. Mm-hmm. And so that's where she's getting all of these paper products. Oh. Got to it. make these extra credit posters. That makes sense. And she's throughout, and was, throughout just making tons and tons of extra credit posters. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, honestly, if I had a student, if I were teaching a class and I had a student that dedicated, I would put them first in the class as well. Yeah. Sit them in the front, in the corner. Yeah. They're number one. So, so Madame, Fr- Madame Frechette yeah. comes in and she says, all right, students, first sit wherever you want. You don't have to sit... Uh, all in order of class ranking. So Felix goes to sit with his friend. Everyone goes to sit with their friends, but the most confused and upset person is, of course, Rosalie Twersky, who is like, "But the rankings? Why? Why are we not? Why are we not sitting by our rankings? This is this is unorthodox." Yeah. And this is just an example of how Madame Frechette is going to revolutionize. Felix's fifth grade she's, she's also introducing French and learning of French. So she calls yeah. everybody mademoiselle and monsieur. She's always throwing in this franglish, so this sort of, you know, saying, how do you say, assez-toi, right? <laughs> instead of, like, sit there. Or she says, uh, merci Dieu, instead of thank God. It's, I'm not it's sure also, it's that these actually are Quebecois sayings. <laughs> in fact, I don't think they are. She also wears a beret for much of the movie. Yeah, I think it's important to point out at this point that while it may sound like Jesse is doing a bad French imp- impression, that's actually what Molly Ringwald <laughs> sounds like in the movie. It's so crazy. <laughs> that it that is was the craziest, actually most caricature French accent that you could really ever have. But surprisingly, yeah. not the most caricatured accent we'll see in this movie. Uh, absolutely we'll not. In a minute. But it was very French. And it had a certain, as they say in Quebecois, I do not know what. <laughs> All right. So after this confusing and strange time at school, Lonnie goes home with Felix and they're going to have a sleepover. And really just, you know, kind of that confusing time in a, in a young boy's life. So where... I saw this movie going in so many directions. So yeah, first, could have been a lot let's, of just, things. let's just say we were looking for a coming of age story. Yes. And there's like five different beginnings to a coming of age story in this movie. 
So the first thing is him learning about like sex from the older brother figure of Chino at the diner. Right? right. So he's learning dirty jokes and he's sort of like, what is sex about? I don't really know. I don't have a lot of good sex education. I go to a Catholic school in the 60s. Right. And I'm in yes. fifth grade. OK, so he's like testing out his sexuality, you know, making out with the poster, sort of liking girls, not liking girls. He has this nemesis who's a girl. You know, there's all this tension there. Right. Then we get Madame Frechette. So we start with nuns and we go to Madame Frechette, who's played by Molly Ringwald who's dressing, you know, very fashionably and is French. She's not wearing the habit. Yeah. She's wearing, uh, you know, a shorter skirt. It's, I think, very provocative compared to the so nuns. So I thought at that point that this was going to go down the road of, like, he has a crush on Madame Frechette and he sort of learns mm-hmm. about girls and, and sex by, like, you know, practicing sort of that crush on the teacher, right? That never happens, right? Yes. But it's set up. You expect it by the appearance of Madame Frechette. I will say in the book, she's written as an old lady that has dyed her hair red. So she's not supposed to be, like, sexy in any way. Even though Molly it's Ringwald clearly the is. Molly Ringwald. And is portrayed that way, right? Yeah. So, so the second thing is then we go to this overnight where Lonnie comes over, his best friend is going to spend time, and they're talking about temptation... And how they, you know, don't want to give in to temptation. And Lonnie, being older, clearly knows more about sex. So I thought they were going to go in a direction where they, he's going to learn about sex from Lonnie. Or they're going to have he tells sort him of the like... the dirty joke. Yeah. So he tells Lonnie the dirty joke to sort of show yeah. that he's mature, even though he doesn't understand yeah. it. And Lonnie does. Right? So I thought yeah. they were going in that direction. They also... It was a little bit homoerotic. I thought they might be going in that direction of like, he's going to get together with Lonnie. Right? This is a Lifetime movie, so I didn't expect that to happen. Well, you know, but. I could see, like, you know, that coming-of-age story of where we're experimenting with our friends, you know, bros. Mm-hmm. Right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just... It was very weird. I was unsettled the entire time just by, like, how crazily into, like, setting up this sort of sexual tension yeah. this movie not, was. And never resolving any and, of and it. And then just being like, okay, let's move on. I will say, I do think that that was a coming from the book. So that is, the book is even okay. crazier, and we will get into it, but is even crazier. And I will point out this thing about Lonnie. So in this case, Lonnie, in, it's not explained in the movie, but in the book, they're going for Halloween trick-or-treating, and Lonnie mm. is from a poor family in a bad neighborhood, so he can't trick-or-treat in his neighborhood because they don't hand out candy very much. So he comes to Felix's neighborhood, who lives in a better neighborhood in New London, in order to go trick-or-treating. And so that's why he's spending the night, is because he's gone trick-or-treating with Felix. Important to note here that the entire movie takes place in the month of December. So this is not set Yes, in the book, it starts in In September, at the beginning of the school year, and goes through Christmas. In fact, I looked at this, Jacob. Of the 275 pages of the book, mm-hmm. the Christmas part of it, meaning where they first start discussing the Christmas pageant and then start really mm-hmm. getting into Christmas themes, comes at page 210. So a full 75% of the book <laughs> doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. And it's just vignettes from things happening in Felix Funicello's life. An interesting choice then for a Lifetime original Well, Christmas I mean, it does movie. say a Christmas story on the cover and it ends at Christmas, but I, I do think Wally Lamb was just like, I'm going to write this story. In, in his interview, he says that he came up with the name Felix Funicello 
and wanted to write a nostalgic story like a Christmas story, and then this mm-hmm. is what he wrote. So he was just writing about that magical summer in the 60s when KIOA was the station to listen to in Des Moines. That's, I that's mean, what's driving him. I guess him. You, you got it. And it's got him a movie deal out of it, so it must have worked. Yeah. It, you know, I enjoyed the book. So I will say, okay, so Jacob, let me read you one more thing here because this is it, the, the most insane thing that, that I read. Okay. Let me see if I can just pull this up here. So Lonnie, Lonnie is staying over at their house and they're, they're trying to skip church, which we're going to get to right now because this is what happens next in the movie, is they skip church to go watch a, mo- uh, a scary movie. A horror movie, yeah. In the book... They've been collecting money for UNICEF by trick-or-treating, and they use the money for the UNICEF to pay for the movie. So it's way worse than in the... uh, It's it's way worse. They pay for admission by stealing money from the starving children. And there's a whole discussion of that. But here's the crazy part. So we know that Felix has two older sisters who are teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. So Simone and... I, I don't remember what the other one is called. But uh, so Simone is babysitting them in the morning while the rest of their family is at church. So she's come back to make them breakfast, mm-hmm. right? And the, uh, the rest of the family is at the lunch counter. So Lonnie plays a prank by placing his whoopee cushion, which we do see in the movie, mm-hmm. underneath in Simone's chair while she's up, like, making pancakes. So she comes to sit down. So she gets angry at him and starts hitting him with the whoopee cushion, okay? She's oh, <laughs> hitting him with the whoopee cushion. And, like, yep. Felix is going, like, why, like... Lonnie's acting really weird. He's breathing really heavily. Like, this is what it says. He's, like, swallowing in the movie. He's, like... Yeah. And you can see his Adam's apple movie when it zooms in. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So she's hitting him with this, right? And they don't show this in the movie. She starts whacking him with it. Then, giggling, she put her hands around his neck and pretended she was choking him. It was pretty funny, and I was laughing, too, kind of. And then, all of a sudden, I wasn't. I'm quoting from the book here. Because I could see Lonnie's you-know-what poking up from inside his pajamas bottoms. And I guess Simone must have seen it too because she said, oh, and ran out of the kitchen. And that was the last either of us saw her that morning. Jacob. Oh, God. So this book, Felix is having to deal with things like asphyxiation play. (laughs) Weird, like, BDSM stuff. I'm just saying, this is like a Christmas book. This is a Christmas story. You would pick this up. And then Lifetime read that and said, let's make a Christmas movie out of this. Let's cut that part out, though. No, so Lifetime has the the shot where she, Simone, yeah. looks down, goes, oh, and runs out of the room. Yes. That's still in it. And it's, it's framed such that you can't see Lonnie's you-know-what. Right. And at that point, I paused the movie. Yeah. I was watching on headphones. Yeah. And I turned to my wife, yeah. who was sitting playing video games. And I explained what had happened. And she was just like, why are you doing this? Like, what is, why are you watching this movie? And why are you telling me about it? Which I guess now I have to explain. To you, to you, the listener. We're trying to explain why this happened. I don't know why this happened. It doesn't come back up. Again, it's just like a weird adult thing that Felix is dealing with that never, you know, he doesn't ever understand. He just feels weirded out by it. And Wally Lamb is perfectly conveying and capturing that weirdness that Felix is feeling and I as the reader am feeling it also even though I understand the dirty joke I understand what's happening I am also weirded out so he was (laughs) very accurately conveying that I'm not sure I wanted to read a whole novel about that but that is what we got and is the movie that we saw Jesse you you I'm glad that you suffer for the 
for the pod. Yeah. I think that that's one of the one of the lessons that we've learned of Christmas is the lesson of generosity. Yeah. And you have been more than generous in reading through this book on top of watching the movie. Oh Not something I was prepared to do. <laughs> well, okay, so let's continue because I think we're, we, let's just run through the rest of it. So, yeah. you know, they go to see this movie. It's a horror movie. I think it's called like Hush Hush Sweet Baby or something like that involving a murderer who decapitates people. And there's a, a scene where the decapitated head rolls down the stairs and Felix is, you know, trying to be mature enough to go watch a horror movie, but much like myself, does not like horror movies and is scared and then is going to have bad dreams. The motif of the head rolling down the stairs is going to come back again and again. That's right. At one point, he's so scared that he's staying multiple nights in his parents' room, sleeping at the feet of his parents' bed. And this was the best older sibling prank I have ever seen. (laughs) His sisters took a cantaloupe, drew a face on it, and threw it into the room where he was sleeping, saying, oh no, the head, Felix, the head. And he freaks out. And I was like, this is gold. Genius. <laughs> this is genius. genius. Uh, you never did that to me, Jesse. Yeah, well, but, yet. You know, maybe I haven't you, done that to seen, you yet. <laughs> Next time I come and movie, visit you, uh... there's going to be a cantaloupe. I'm going to roll it in your room. <laughs> oh no, the head. You actually love horror movies. I don't. I do you love You could do it movies. to me. It wouldn't fan. work the other I'm way. I'm a big fan of horror movies. All right. So... The <laughs> we return again to this kind of weird sexual tension that pervades this movie, where Felix feels very, incredibly guilty about having kissed the photo of his cousin Annette Funicello, and so he's actually looking forward to confession every Friday or every t- every two Fridays. The entire parochial school gives confession, and so Felix is feeling very excited because he wants to relieve himself of this guilt. So he goes into the confessional booth, and the priest is Meatloaf. Yeah. So just imagine that you go into confession, you want to relieve yourself of all your, your burdens, and the, the screen is pulled back, and it's Meatloaf there who says, tell me, tell me your sins. And so Felix confesses that he's been having impure thoughts, that he kissed this poster of his cousin, and well, no, Jacob, he says that it, he had impure thoughts. Yes. And this is what's weird. This is where <laughs> yeah, the movie is... goes weird. Because he could just say it, I kissed this poster, and the priest could be like, okay, that's like a childish thing. Like, yeah. do go do a Hail Mary. But no, he says, forgive me, you know, Father, for I have sinned. Uh, you know, it's been three weeks, whatever. It's my last confession. And then he's like, I've, you know, I lied. I did this thing. And then also, I had impure thoughts. And Meatloaf sort of like leans in closer, and he's like, Tell me more. What exactly <laughs> impure thoughts did you have? And at that moment, I thought we were going towards a child abuse sex scandal in the church movie. And I was like, where are we going with this? Why is this so weird and creepy? Why is Meatloaf yeah. super creepy? He's actually not creepy weird. in the book. So the, the priest character is really not as creepy. Meatloaf brought Meatloaf that, to the, brought to the that saw what else was going on in the script, and was like... I see what direction, what choice I should make here. Let's make this really creepy. Yeah, so, so he explains that he had these impure thoughts about his cousin, Annette Funicello. They kiss the poster, and Meatloaf says, that is incest, that is the worst thing you could do. You have to say... I mean, he draws it out much more than that. He's like, tell me more about this incest. (laughs) It was your cousin, you say. Which cousin? How distantly related. (laughs) Yeah, he's very It was inappropriate, and not something that I wanted to dwell on. Again, another point where I had to stop the movie... (laughs) And my wife was... Very awkward. This is very awkward, this entire movie. 
So <laughs> this happens. We then at this point get a new student transfer, foreign exchange student, moves to New London from Russia. So at this time, remember the 60s, we're in the space race. We have the Cold War is happening, is heating up. And so who's from Russia is 13 and has joined their fifth grade class. And she can't speak English very well. In fact, she has the craziest Russian accent that I have ever seen portrayed on screen. Although, yes. to be fair, it is exactly replicating what is in the book. So the book <laughs> is like spelling things like, hello, <laughs> I am your friend, Shenya, <laughs> right? But it's spelling it like all wrong. Oh so God. it's phonetically uh, really some crazy, I, I don't know the, these rules about writing, Jacob, this is more your expertise, yeah. but when you write in vernacular and you write sort of phonetically to explain the different dialects people are using, should you go with the stereotypical Russian accent? Is that one that you go I, with? I'm, I'm just glad that the one black character in this book did not get <laughs> the same treatment. Because yeah. that's a very real possibility. That was, I was expecting that, but it, but it did not happen. I will, I will say that if I'm going to give this book and this movie a little bit of credit, this is someone remembering their childhood. He could be distorting in his narration. We could have an unreliable narrator who is like, I remember her being Russian. This is clearly what Russians sound like. So he overdoes the Russian accent, the French accent from Madame Flechette. That could be what we're seeing here. I don't to give them a possibly a, a charitable reading of the film. Yeah, I think one thing just to give you an example, of what's in the book here. So in the book, he says she says she's angry because they don't have shot put. Uh, as a, so she says no shout put. <laughs> This is bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. With like double O's. Bullshit school. Bullshit school. So I can't even I, I can't even do the right I am trying to read this phonetically yeah. to get the Russian accent and it's not making sense to me. So I'm not sure. In response to Xenia okay. showing up, and Xenia, all the all the kids like Xenia because she's very athletic, she's older, she's just very different. So at first they're standoffish. She Playing sports. She loves playing so sports. She but gets in with all the all the guys. All the guys. And Rosalie Twersky gets upset about this and throws the greatest shade I have ever seen, where she makes an extra credit poster for the school about how communism is bad and the evils of communism. <laughs> how they're sending Russian spies Russian over spies, to infiltrate yeah, the US. Yeah, to infiltrate the US. So great paper crafting and uh, scrapbooking work from Rosalie Twersky here. It does backfire on her because it does get Lonnie interested in asking Zhenya if she is a Russian spy, and that sparks their friendship. That's right. And uh, Lonnie and Zhenya eventually get together. We then move to... So I want to note that I don't know how long we've been discussing this movie. Probably longer than the runtime of the movie itself. Yeah, we're closing in at 50 minutes here. And we have yet to talk about Christmas. So this is my point, <laughs> is that there's a lot of this movie and, and no Christmas, right? Yeah. So far. So uh, we finally get to the Christmas where there's two major events at the end of this school year that are depicted in the book and depicted in the movie, which is Felix Funicello with his junior midshipman group, which is sort of like Cub Scouts, I guess, but for the Navy. Yeah, for sailors. For sailors. They're going to go be on the Ranger Andy show, which we referenced earlier, which was a local television show. And because Felix idolizes his distant cousin, Annette Funicello, who is a real-life person who was a musketeer and then famously became a movie star, he, 
he thinks that this is going to be his big break. So he's very excited about showing up on the Ranger Andy show and making a break on live TV to be able to go then be a child star, much like his cousin. It's also important to note that his whole family also supports him in this. Right. And is like, this is going to be great. I'm so excited to see you on the big screen or well, on the small screen. And they're not faking it. Like they They organize a watch party at the bus depot at the lunch counter where they're going to give they everybody... They wheel in a TV. Yeah. They bring in a TV special yeah. into the bus depot And again, watch look, this. okay, so here's the other thing. In the book... Cindy Cream Cheese, the obese go-go dancer for Hoot Nanny Hoot, her son, I think it's Charlie Cheesecake, shows up and is brought to this watch party and wants to eat all of the pie and they have to like <laughs> navigate that that situation. And they left this out of the movie. They left this out this of the is movie. A goddamn shame. Yeah, Jesse. it is. It really is a goddamn shame. So so anyways, so they watch this watch party. There's actually in the book there are two watch parties because the mom actually goes and competes on a nationally televised bake off for Pillsbury mm-hmm. and she meets Ronald Reagan. Something else that was not portrayed <laughs> in the movie that I was surprised by. Because that's a minefield they didn't want to get into. I guess. I mean, a political, she, a political she, firestorm. She, she actually doesn't get to really talk to Ronald Reagan. He goes to interview her, but she's been so nervous that she gets diarrhea and has to be was in the bathroom, and she's running back from the bathroom as he like tries to interview her station, and she's got toilet paper stuck to the back of her dress, and it's like trailing behind uh. her like a long stream. So that's sort oh, of what no. happens in the movie. So she's she's humiliated on national TV. Much in the same way that Felix Valenciello is also going to get humiliated on the Ranger Andy show, which is not national. Again, this is a local show, but everyone's building it up. So I think they're combining both of those scenes in this. Yeah. The other big thing, again, still not Christmas, right? This is happening just before Christmas. The big Christmas thing is the Christmas pageant. So there's a Christmas program put on by the parochial school where all the grades sing different songs. And the fifth grade, Madame Frechette, has organized a tableau vivant. As they say in Quebecois. Or living table, for those yeah. who are unaware of the translation. <laughs> Where they're going to stage live action nativity scenes to represent what's happening in the different Christmas songs that the other grades are singing. This becomes a huge thing within the, the school children. And Rosalie Tursky, of course, because she's the hardest working and highest scoring student, wants to be the Virgin Mary. She thinks that's her her due. Instead, it goes to Madame Frechette, of course, updating, upending the social order, much in the same way. I think this is an analogy for the 60s in general, in which the 60s upended the traditional status quo hierarchy and social mm-hmm. order in a microcosm in this classroom, fifth grade classroom. You know, so this other girl, other student gets the part of Virgin Mary. So Rosalie is very upset. She brings her parents, who are board members, to bear to try and pressure. Very wealthy. Her father is supplying the pamphlet. That's right. Torsky for the Christmas pageant. Yeah. And he says, this year I was thinking of doing a three-color spread, you know, double-sided. On fancy and paper. And he mentions so the thickness of can, the paper. That comes directly so quote from the book. That. That's a quote from the book, the three-ream, three-color printing. So so they're trying to do this. Madame Frechette is getting a lot of pressure put on her to make Rosalie the Virgin Mary. But, you know, so this is all happening at the same time. And, you know, Felix is not really focused on that. He's going to be the little drummer boy. He's focused he's on... Not, the, he's, he's, fo- not, he's not excited about that, right. but he's like, I've got other... I've got bigger fish to fry. I'm going to be on the Ranger Andy show. I'm going to be on the Ranger Andy So they go to the Ranger Andy show, and what happens, Jacob? What happens at the Ranger oh Andy show? Oh, my God. So the 
the Ranger Andy show, they go, there's a bunch of little kids. There's like probably 15, 20 children mm-hmm. who are going to be in the audience on live TV. And so as soon as he gets there, Felix is thinking, how am I going to stand out? First, he's not selected to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. He's very disappointed. He's not selected to go and get the mail from the mailbag. So he's like, Who my, knew that Blue's Clues was options. stealing this from yeah. Ranger Andy? From Ranger Andy. Yeah, he's, said, he's thinking too. my options are limited. And so he really wants to, to make it big. So Ranger Andy is, he runs through his normal his normal crowd work with the children. They're singing songs, there's answering questions, he's asking questions. And finally, they've got about maybe two or three minutes left in the show. And they've run out of material. So he goes, does anyone know a joke? Why would you do this, Ranger Andy? He would never. This is, Why he knows you children. This on live he works TV. with children every day. Nobody does this. Children. Nobody does this. Oh, it was insane. I knew on. it was insane when he said it. Yeah. I was like, oh no, what is going to happen? So uh, a couple of other kids, they make their jokes and, you know, they're, they're very innocuous jokes. Mm-hmm. The kind of you would read on the back of a Laffy Taffy. And then Felix, you can hear Chevy Chase narrating what Felix is thinking. He's thinking, I don't know any jokes, I gotta, but I got to say something. It's my last chance to be a big movie star. I got to tell. And then he thinks, I know a joke. He stands up and Ranger Andy says, what's your joke, son? He goes, how is a woman <laughs> like, an oven. like an oven? Oh. And Ranger Andy not seeing. He sh- Ranger Andy should have known to say. Think it was the right, 60s. Cut, uh, just cut. First of all, like, I don't know. Like, yes. So I think that it would not fly today because it's a misogynist joke, right? Yes. I think it doesn't fly in the 60s because it's about sex, right? Yes. So Ranger Andy and just walks show. into it. Yeah. Had for, he goes, Ranger Andy says, I don't know. How is a woman like an oven? <laughs> and Felix oh, Funicello. Ranger Andy, you pure innocent child. The 10-year-old Felix Funicello says, well, you got to warm them both up before you stick it in the meatloaf. Uh, and there's an immediate silence from Ranger Andy. The assistant off to the sides gives the cut that motion. And they needed the, the five second screamed. delay. If only Janet Jackson had performed at the Super Bowl halftime show in 1963 and not yeah. much, much later. Yep. And so instead, the screen on the television goes black. We cut back to the watch party. Everyone is floored back at the bus depot. I feel like they should have had Chino laughing, but they didn't. <laughs> I, that would have been that would have been good. But yeah, yeah. So so instead we instead we get we cut immediately to what I consider to be the best scene in this movie: mm-hmm. the father, the mother, and Felix in the car driving back from the bus station. The father, there's dead silence in the car, and then the father just looks in the rearview mirror and says, "Do you have to tell that joke, son?" <laughs> You have to tell that joke. Man, the dad is so oh. put upon in this movie. It's he pretty he, nuts. Do, he sacrifices a lot for his family. Yeah. And then his son goes and embarrasses him on television. On Ranger Andy. Ranger on Andy Ranger was so Andy. pure. So in the book, they actually say that Ranger Andy, like, it doesn't get broadcast. Like, the next one says there's technical difficulties. 
and then uh-huh. Ranger Andy is canceled, like never shows up again. He retires <laughs> and it's like never shows up again, which I thought was a fitting ending for Ranger Andy, but you know, that is what happens. So brought down. So we finally end on the only thing that had to do with Christmas. Well, the two things that have to do with Christmas was there's a Christmas pageant. And so they're yes. doing these tableau vivants, but what ends up happening is that Rosalie is pissed that she didn't get the Virgin Mary spot and she feels she's not being highlighted enough. So she writes her own play titled The Real Meaning of Christmas as told by the saints. So she plays the narrator who's interviewing children playing saints from history. In this case, the Saint Aloysius Gonzaga, who is the child saint, the patron saint of their school. The Saint Martin de Porres, who is a the one of the only black saints uh, in the Catholic canon, who is from Peru. I've actually been to the some of the churches where there's the shrine to Martin de Porres mm-hmm. in Lima. It's really great. And Rosalie is like just getting like saying, you know, hey, how did Santa, you know, like people are all thinking about Santa and getting presents, but they're forgetting that this is really about the birth of Jesus Christ and getting these saints to do this. And Martin de Porres is supposed to be like really sad and crying. Because people have forgotten. Because people have forgotten the true meaning of Christmas. And of course, Marion, who is the the one black kid at the school is saying, like, I don't want to play this part because I don't want to get up and cry because, you know, I'm a guy and I don't want to cry in front of my dad and my yes. brothers. And and Rosalie's like, no, you have to play Martin Deportes. And he's like, why? And she, Why do why I have, do to, I have play to play him? him? Get somebody else to do it. And she's like, well, you know. <laughs> right? And, and then Marion gets to use his catchphrase, which is said throughout the movie, which is, wait till the NAACP hears about this one. <laughs> Which I think I think that's gotta Bold be our catchphrase now. Catch I think I'm gonna phrase. Take that. Wait till the NAACP hears <laughs> about this one. You know, what's interesting about it is they actually in the book go in depth into sort of this exploration of race in the sixties and like using the word black versus colored and like why is it the NAACP? Like they have like Felix is like thinking through those thoughts. But that doesn't come across in this movie. Yeah, All no, that comes heavy, across is <laughs> wait till the NAACP hears about this one. Which, up to be fair, good joke. It's, yeah, Very good classic, joke. classic catchphrase. Again, could you have a Cheers-like sitcom at the bus <laughs> depot where, like, Marion shows up with his brothers? Like, wait till the NAACP hears about this one. <laughs> Laugh track. This would be perfect. It would be good. So they get to the tableau vivants, and hijinks ensues. There's a lot of, you know, because she was dressed up as the wise man so she's originally dressed as a man rosalie wants to be a virgin mary so she's like quickly trying to rip off her beard (laughs) she's fighting with xenia who has been told to be the virgin mary and switch costumes with one of the angels so the angel who was a boy is dressed in xenia's clothes so everyone's just switching costumes at the last minute there's lots of hijinks lots of cross-dressing going on you know Baby Jesus gets decapitated at one point during during it, this whole It fracas. calls back to the head rolling down the staircase and, yes, in the beautifully from, shot sequence. Yeah. From Hot Hutch Bay. So Felix is freaking out because yeah. he sees this head rolling. And so but so now he has to be baby Jesus. So he's getting dressed as baby. He gets in the manger. He's not wearing it. And the curtain opens up on the tableau vivant, and they're all just <laughs> sort of caught in flagrante, if you will. Or, uh, you know, I don't know how to say that in Quebecois, so we'll just have to imagine a French word for that. <laughs> They're and, all frozen, though. It's yeah, it's impressive. Perfectly frozen. It's perfectly impressive frozen. the work and that they put into it. Get a standing ovation. 
They get a standing ovation, which is great. And then they, you know, curtain goes down. Everyone loved it, even though it was crazy insane. There was a decapitated baby Jesus there. (laughs) There were two Marys. There were two baby Jesus. There was the, the, you know, they should have gone for a third baby Jesus to really get the Trinity going. But... You know, the there sun, was the, the decapitated the baby sun. Jesus, and then there was Felix also, you know, <laughs> yes, exactly. The sun, sun, and sun. Um, so, you know, so that's great. So they they go outside, you know, his his mother, his dad was supposedly at the bus depot taking care of the, the lunch counter, but it turns out that their very famous distant cousin, uh, Annette Funicello, is, you know, happened to be in New Jersey, right? And she caught the tail end of the tableau vivant so she shows up and congratulates him it's a very heartwarming then, moment i thought where the dad uh felix looks in the back he's in this tableau vivant he looks in the back and he sees his father there and there's this moment where felix has been upset because he felt like he really embarrassed his father and his family on live television and then yeah. he sees that his father still does support him still does come to this event even though he said that he wasn't going to be able to make it it's Look, a nice do scene. you wanna do you wanna cross Mother Philomena? I mean, I'm gonna show up. <laughs> I'm gonna I don't care up. what happened. You know, it's very very strict person. Yeah. So anyway, so Annette Funicello is there. So the the musketeer and former musketeer and and now movie star is there. Uh, and then they just sort of go, you know, end credits, and they have sort of an epilogue, an animated epilogue, where they sort of talk about everyone's future lives. I'm not sure why we super care about all these people's future <laughs> lives, but they talk about it. Um, and, uh, that's sort of randomly the end and the end of a, a very, very weird movie, Jacob. And I think yeah. that leads us directly <laughs> into, our, into our next segment, which is Christmas confusions. Now in this segment, Jacob, every week we talk about what confuses about the movie. Some weeks, not a lot yeah. of confusions, very straightforward. This week, Jesse. This week, <laughs> there were basically there were all confusion. <laughs> So, so what what but, confused you the most, Jesse, about this movie? What what was really curious for you? Jacob, why is this movie so horny? Why <laughs> why why does this movie this movie is just everything is played extraordinarily creepily? Like it's supposed to be a coming of age, you know, like this child's like trying to figure out these adult things. He's always being confused. But Felix never figures them out. Yeah. Right? But the movie is definitely, like, throwing a lot of questions Felix's way. Yeah. Right? It's, you know, it's the dirty joke that he overhears in the diner. It's his best friend taking him to a scary movie. You know, it's his Russian girl coming in and making out with his friend randomly on the schoolyard. It's the priest who's a little bit maybe too interested in his urges towards his cousin. It's, it's like he sleeps on Lincoln logs to try and prevent himself from having impure thoughts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very weird. And, and just the movies just really leans into just like how interested in sex Felix Funicello sh- maybe should be, but mm-hmm. is not really understanding what's going on. Yeah. And the movie just, Everything is great. I, I really think the confessional scene really drives it home, if you will, because he's like, oh, you had impure thoughts? Tell me more about them. And then there's like two minutes of discussing yeah. the impure thoughts. So yeah. it's just very weird. Not, not, 
I don't know if we'll go further into that one <laughs> in our later <laughs> I, segment. I'm not sure I want to discuss this. Yeah, I don't this, really want to go into that one. So okay. it was, and I think it anyone, was the main point of the movie, and I think that that's movie, why. That's what they're going to It was through. very weird. And, and, you know, the real question here is not why was it so horny, but why was it so horny on the Lifetime Network as a Christmas <laughs> movie? That's what's weird yeah. about it. Like, if this is on Cinemax, okay, I understand where you're going with this, right? Like, that's the appropriate venue. But this is our lifetime. Yeah. We're sitting down for a Christmas movie. Oh. You know, I've got the tinsel up. I've got my small Christmas tree. Maybe I'm in my home gym, you know, trying to watch something while I work. This is this is what's weird about it. Yeah. It definitely, it stands out from all of the other Lifetime movies that we've watched as a kind of weird blip in in otherwise pretty set formula. You know, you know what's not so weird about it though? Having Chevy Chase be involved, right? I mean, I feel like this is a Chevy Chase project. <laughs> it has his I'm surprised he was not on screen, right? That's what's weird about it. Yeah. So So what confused you, Jacob? Ah, uh, there were a couple things. I I of course my my next question, Jesse, you know, we've we've talked about why is this movie so horny? I'm curious as something that we've always dealt with with these movies what is the time frame that this movie is happening over it's I, I understand that from you've read the book of course it happens over a much longer time period in the book that's right. right so in the book it goes from august it's like the beginning of the school year right before the school year starts until you know the christmas pageant so right before right, right before christmas again christmas doesn't happen in this movie yeah so this is almost like a twelve men of Christmas situation where Christmas is not shown in this. It's pretty ancillary. Christmas. It's yeah, pretty yeah, ancillary. It's, very... it's just a setting. It's rather than rather than the purpose of the movie. But yeah, the time frame is not is not made clear. It could happen like other lifetime movies. It could it, it could happen over I would say a month would be about the shortest I could see it happening. Jacob, There's... we need the Merry Little Christmas calendar. Yes. Days until Christmas <laughs> countdown. Should be in every movie. Just it, it place us should. in time. Where are we? We need Let's to be oriented. This. Let's with, get this on the board. The world. Yeah, put it on the refrigerator, understand. just in the background. All right. The diner. Make it for, the diner yeah, could the have diner. a nice, a nice little calendar going with days marked off. It could. Uh, maybe it's a calendar. It's an Annette Funicello <laughs> it's an Annette calendar. Annette Funicello calendar. All right. Maybe he wants to make out with it. You know who knows? <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's it, what we're saying. Yeah, that's that's my question. Other, you know, other lifetime movies we've seen take place in three days, right? Yeah, and so I'm not saying that this movie has to take a single place. night, oh, yeah. right? A single night, a single like night. you know, every day is Christmas, yeah. one night, right? So I'm not saying that it has to take place over a month, right? I'm just saying that it seems from the time frame that we watch, it should take longer than it does. But I think that Lifetime is saying we're putting this under our Christmas movie budget under that banner so it has to take place at and around christmas and so they shorten it from august to december to maybe november to december yeah yeah well they they need to have some timing you know just put put some time you know we love the merry little christmas both the countdown but also putting the dates on Mm -hmm. just give us some indication of the passage of time give us title cards you know yeah yeah, can, maybe on the second day of Christmas, yeah, title can, cards, put it up there. They can be an unrelated picture of something, yeah. uh, an old painting. But yeah. just give us something that we can really understand what the time frame is here. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, Jacob, is there anything else confused you about this movie? I mean, I feel like there's so much I don't yeah. even know. I think there, where there's to start. one. There's one more thing that I gotta I gotta yeah. touch on, which is the relationship with Madame Frechette. Madame Frechette. the I Quebecois, the Quebecois teacher. teacher. I think who that takes over and becomes their French teacher, basically. Yeah, I think that that relationship was set up to be much bigger than it was. Yeah, it was set up at least following the kind of logic of the movie, the, the narrative structure of the movie, it was set up to be the central relationship. And she really yeah. only has one scene with uh, Felix that is yeah. separated from other people that is between just the two of them and really grows that character relationship. So that was kind of confusing yeah. to me. I was like, it, it really leads into the, the main question, I think, that we yeah. can't really answer. So Jacob, like, what's... Jacob, one thing, can we, yeah. can we just, you know, not to digress on Madame Frechette here. Okay. Okay. Digression, <laughs> if you will. I don't know if that's the <laughs> How word you say in French. Dig- How you say it? Digression. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so the, the interesting thing in the book, it, it, she actually, he secretly finds Mother Philomena's like, review evaluation of madame frechette's teaching and mm-hmm. how like M- mother philomena is like really trying to crack down on her mm-hmm. so he's almost very protective of mm-hmm. her and so there's this give and take where he's like you know trying to cover for her with mother philomena and then there's just like a, a much you know more extended look at that mm-hmm. that that thing the other thing i'll say is that it from the beginning just because of how hard it leans into the sort of sexuality of and, you know, awakening of Felix Municello, like, it's pretty, and Molly Ringwald is playing, mm-hmm. you know, Madame Frechette, it, you, you're sort of set up of, like, oh, he's going to have a crush on his teacher, mm-hmm. right? But then that never really happens. And and that's, I think, because in the book, she's supposed to be, like, like an elderly lady, like mm-hmm. 60 plus, right. and who dyes her hair red. And I think that the perhaps the filmmakers read that and were like, "Oh, Molly Ringwald could get attached to this redhead. You know, we could get that going." So the I think the point, perhaps, of yeah, why the why the author originally wrote it that way. Yeah, I think so. Maybe I'm I'm not sure, but it anyways, just, it, I think that's why it doesn't ever like. There's no plot points after it that yeah. sort of build that up, but that is, I think, in the movie. And so again, just very confusing. It just brings to the, me to the question of what is the point of this story, right? Like it. It's set up very much as a slice of life style narrative, mm-hmm. but it keeps building. It, it interweaves those narratives together, but never mm-hmm. in a way that amounts to anything more than the individual narratives. Like if you're going to do a slice of life where you're just selling s- vignettes of this boy's life, much like yeah, much like a Christmas story, then you don't interweave them because then you're you're priming the audience to expect more narrative cohesion and a resolution resolution to those stories than you're going to give them. In a Christmas story, I'm not expecting a resolution to them because each uh, vignette is set up and resolved within the space of a few scenes rather Mm -hmm. than each of them building to, as they do in this movie, some finale. I think think the point of this story was to learn about Christmas. (laughs) So let's just move right to our Christmas themes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what did we learn about Christmas from this movie, Jacob? This is a segment, uh, of course, where we t- discuss like what the movie taught us about Christmas. 
the you know reason we're we're here watching these movies and you know frankly jacob i think what i learned is that christmas is the perfect time to come of age and deal with complex adult issues like racial strife in the 60s and sexual awakenings you know it, it really sh- is the perfect backdrop i think to complex questions that you need to talk about with your parents <laughs> it's just you like know, the whole family's really home that's what yeah. you need to talk about yeah, whole family's home. We're all here together. It, Let's discuss. What was right? really what's really funny to me is that this movie says the real meaning of Christmas, which is yeah. Jesus Christ was born on Christmas Day and we're ce- celebrating his birth. School. It's set at a Catholic school. We then, have the tableau vivants, which but, are very accurate. But the play, that, we have all these saints, real, you know, information here. But then that meaning is just it's dismissed within it as being overly religious as that they, yeah, you know, the, Rosalie. The, Rosalie's like, I think we all forgot the yeah. real meaning of Christmas. Let me write this play telling what you know what the real meaning of Christmas is, and everyone's like, ah, yeah. nerd. Everyone what are you doing? Her and, <laughs> and hates her, and is, <laughs> she gets her play derailed by the kids saying, "Wait till the NAACP hears about this." Yeah. It's 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 out there. I don't know, man. I I really. I thought that we were going to get some good... Maybe we would even get the 12 Days of Christmas actually used correctly. No, absolutely not, Jesse. You know, I mean, we're doing deep cuts here. You know, Martin de Porres, like, that is not, like, you know, a top of the, not, you know... He's not an Top of the mind saint, he's not, right? I, I would say I'd say he's a he's a B-list saint. Are you... Well, are we going gonna to do some saint tearing here? I'm not <laughs> sure I want to venture into that territory. But... Uh, Jesse, I'm getting called. You know, from, I'm getting called from the Catholic what's the Church. Mount Rushmore? Canceled. <laughs> Mount Rushmore of saints. I'm just I'm just saying Martin de Porres may not be on it. Although I really like him and and heard heard of him because I happen to have lived in Peru. I don't think that he's uh you know this is just getting some deep cuts on this, mm-hmm. and we could have really learned something about Christmas. But I absolutely learned nothing new about <laughs> Christmas here. I, I learned a lot about the '60s and you know New London. Get in the '60s, a lot of detail. I mean, I think um, that this stems from this being based on a book which is not a Christmas book. This Jacob, movie, Jacob. Was... The, let me remind you: the title of the story is "Wishing and Hoping." Subtitle: Christmas Story. It's not a Christmas story. Yet again, it is not a Christmas story. It's not a Christmas story. I just wanted a movie to compete with a Christmas story. Yeah. On TCM, and so they commissioned this movie to be made. It's, I feel like we're just missing the point of what Wally... I feel like we need to sit down with Wally Lamb and be I, like, can you I just explain him. this to I us? I DM'd him on Twitter and I got nothing, yeah. Jesse. Uh, well, Although he didn't have Wally, any followers, so it may have been a bot. That reach I out to us. I'm not sure. Reach out to us. All right, Jacob. Well, <laughs> I don't think, yet again, we've learned nothing from this lock. But let's get into our holiday ham. Oh, I, You know I love to sink my teeth into the segment, Jesse. It's this, delicious. The holiday ham, every... And, and this is one of the very few segments. We don't always do this one. We mm-hmm. only do the holiday ham when we decide that there is an actor in this movie who was really chewing the scenery, who really just grabbed the role, stole the screen presence with either their physicality or their dialogue. Something about them really captured our attention. That's the holiday ham. Jesse, who was mm-hmm. it for you this week? Jacob, I think it can only be... Oh, first of all, there's a lot of options. <laughs> this is a movie where it was a close race. Yeah. 
you had Zhenya, she's conditioning her hair with mayonnaise. Yeah. She's speaking in a Russian accent that she's, I can't even... She's eating sardines you know, just constantly. She's eating sardines constantly. Great work from that child actor. You know, you have Meatloaf, right? Being the <laughs> priest who's very his, concerned his with final, thoughts. His final turn on the silver screen, or the small <laughs> silver screen. <laughs> It's very, very weird. You know, but I think I have to give it to Molly Ringwald. Because yeah. Madame Frechette, the Quebecois accent, really played French. Just yeah. amazing. It, amazing stuff. She really pushed it, the accent, just all the way up to 12. You know, if a Quebecois, if a native Quebecois is a 10, Jacob, she's pushing it up to Jacob, 12 here. Jacob, I don't think she took it to 12, Okay. I think she took it to a, how do you say, a tres? <laughs> Maybe a cans. <laughs> a this sweet. <laughs> I'm not even doing it French enough. It'd be like, a this sweet. Something, I can't even do it. It's It she, was, She came wow. in wearing, wearing a beret <laughs> into the first class. It, <laughs> it, it was very French. You know, it, beret's it, very common in, in Quebec. Very common in Quebec is well have known. Her have some reason to have traditional a hat of Quebec. Table, she <laughs> I'm surprised would've. she wasn't in like a black and white striped shirt with like a red <laughs> bandana. It was, it was incredible. The I don't know whether that was a directorial choice or mm-hmm. she came on. She read that it was a Quebecois woman, and she was like, "All right, well, this is how I'm going to do it." It. You have to see it to really understand what we mean. We cannot do it justice. Just just look for a clip of Madame Frechette because yeah. it is, it is some great oh. accent work. She must have been working for a long time with one of those, you know, the accent coaches mm-hmm. to really to really nail that Quebecois accent. It was it's amazing. I mean, she's a, right. she's a great actress, so I can understand that she. Would, you can believe it. Up. Yeah, I believe it. You know, I mean, ever since her movie, what was that movie? Le Club de Déjeuner? Is that is that the one? I don't I, remember. No. I was trying to say Breakfast Club in, in French, but I'm not sure I got that correct. We'll have to, we'll be corrected in our in our DMs. So, add okay. us. Yeah. Figure that out. Yep. All right. So, Jacob, let's move to our, we had a lot of confusions about this movie. <laughs> oh. I think we should move to our New Year's resolutions. Absolutely. Every week, we deal with the confusions. We let them sit. We let them marinate for a little bit while we discuss the themes of the movie. And then we go back and we think, how are we going to resolve some of these confusions? If we were the execs at Lifetime, they bring us the script. We read through it. We say, all right, we we can tweak this a little bit, really make it 100%. What are we going to change? Jesse, what, what stood out to you as something that between the two of us, we could really tighten it up, make the movie, take the movie from a 7 out of 10 to a 10. Well, I think, you know, we could start with the relationship with Madame Frechette, because I think that that does not get resolved. Yeah. Right? And yeah. that's set up as a central thing. So maybe in- include more from the book about Madame Frechette, mm-hmm. you know, more of their interactions. What is the impact on Felix Funicello's later life? Yeah. From Madame Frechette. And I think just in general, although we get the animated epilogue, which is also an epilogue in the book of like, this is what these people went on to do. You know, sort of that freeze frame where it says, yeah, this person spent two years in jail and it's like a kid, you know, like you're projecting forward in life. Yeah. 
but I think what we really want to see is like, we really want to answer the question of like, what is the point of the movie? And so for me, Jacob, if I was tweaking this movie, Mm -hmm. I would have a scene with an adult Chevy Chase at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he would be a teacher at St. Aloysius de Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. And he would be explaining how this seminal Christmas being in the Tableau Vivant maybe caused him to become a priest or Mm -hmm. a teacher at St. Aloysius in some way. And, and, you know, sort of changed his life to say like, hey, this is a worthwhile thing. I learned the importance of family and school and Christmas. And that's why we do Tableau Vivants every year. And he's like talking to a, a classroom full of children. Yeah. Right. Think, and get, imparting them a lesson that he learned from his childhood in the 60s. I think that's a great idea. I, I would, I, I think that's a great conclusion to me. I would push the Madame Frechette uh, relationship further. I think that what you mentioned about how there was an evaluation of Madame Frechette. Yeah. That was going negatively, and so Felix feels very protective. Jacob, I think of her. you're supposed to. You're supposed to. It's, it's a. It's a Quebecois R. So Fre- freshet. Fre- freshet. It's more. It's back in the throat. Fresh. Oh God, freshet. <laughs> okay. We are offending too far. a lot of people. That's too far. That's too far. <laughs> I'm gonna pull it in. All right. I think that the relationship with his teacher. I think that you include more scenes. You drop some of the stuff with the best friend that doesn't really mesh well with the rest of the movie and you use that now that you've regained some time you use that time to devote to the relationship between madame freshette and felix and if you do that you're going to be able to incorporate themes christmas themes of generosity of understanding of helping that are just absent in this film you know if we have a more central conflict between this lay teacher who comes in and the very strict conservative religious Catholic school that could introduce a lot of conflict that is resolved by Felix doing an outstanding tableau vivant that really captures everyone's imagination, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Raising the stakes and then making the stakes personal for Felix in a way that they just weren't quite there in this movie. Yeah, really not. All right, well, Jacob, I think we could try and fix this movie, <laughs> but I'm not sure it's worth it because, <laughs> again, gr- we learned question. nothing nothing about Christmas from this movie. But, Jacob, what would you say if we could, you know, open some random presents here, maybe get to our Ooh. White Elephant Exchange? Oh, that's a great idea, Jesse. The White Elephant Exchange, this is probably my favorite segment that we do. Mm-hmm. We know that... The Lifetime Original Christmas movies are generally made in order to play off of a pun in the title. That's right. The my, it's an it's an as you say in Quebecois après entrée. It's it's a way to play with the phrasing or the terms, usually to do something to do with Christmas. My favorite, of course, are Christmas reserv- Christmas reservations, where that phrase comes up a Take ton a of times. High, high watermark. For 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 Lockham titles that there. and we we learned that it was because the yeah. original writers did exactly that they yeah. worked backwards from the name came up with the story and and the characters said Christmas reservations and made puns about reservations oh so many times throughout the movie yeah it was great so we like to take this time to pitch a different movie using the title of the movie we just watched so in this case. What movie are you going to pitch me, Jesse, with the title Wishing and Hoping? 
Well, Jacob, I had a really elaborate plot based on a sort of a make a Chris, a make a wish foundation okay. situation. Okay. Where <clears throat> you had, you know, Christmas time, tiny Tim like child wants to, you know, make a final Christmas wish to visit the North pole. Mm-hmm. Right. But of course, you know, we get Chevy Chase in here. We have a planes, trains, and automobile situation. <laughs> you know, they that fa- a Christmas Lampoon, vacation, National Lampoon Christmas vacation. Yeah, everything's failing. We're trying to get there. We're just hoping we make it. And along the way, you know, the person that's helping us, you know, the the person from the Make a Wish Foundation, is a career businesswoman from the big city. But she's trying to get to the North Pole. So they're in a lab and they're in a small town, trying to say like, this is Christmas. You know, get this kid there. And the hunky snowplow driver, you know, of course, trying <laughs> slash to mayor, slash architect. He has a lot of jobs. <clears throat> They're going to get together. So I had that all planned out, Jacob. But then, look, I think that if you just did a really simple love story about someone who's, you know, wishing and hoping and thinking and praying, planning and dreaming each night <laughs> of the guy's charms. Yeah. Right. You know, that won't get you into his arms. It's, it won't, but, Jesse. But if you're looking to find love, then that's what you share. Okay? <laughs> okay, so you're just gonna pi- I, you're just pitching me the song. The the Dusty Springfield lyrics. <laughs> with, because no, frankly, but... Jacob, that has just as much to do with Christmas as this movie did. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so it's the summer of 1964. Yeah. Okay? I think we, we discussed this at the top. You know, it was a great summer. I'm very Christmassy. Dusty you said summer always... and Christmassy, and it's just not connecting for me. Yeah, well... Dusty Springfield's 1964 <laughs> hit, Wishing and Hoping, also connects directly with uh, actually just changing yourself completely to try and get a guy. And as long as you hold and kiss him and squeeze him, then you can have him. But you have to change your hair and everything about yourself in order for the guy <laughs> to like you. That's what this, this, you're wishing and hoping for this yeah. guy's love, of course. Jesse, this is what this song is about. I, I think I think it falls once again on me to land this plane. I'm going to pitch you. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. I'm well, look, I think Dusty Springfield <laughs> makes some great Christmas movie songs. So I, I'm going to pitch you a different. About. I'm going to pitch you a different movie, Jesse. You, an actual Christmas. I'm going to pitch you an a- actual Christmas movie. Okay. And I'm going to stay somewhat within the confines of this movie in that it's okay. going to be about a young boy. Mm-hmm. We can set it in the 60s. We don't have to. I'm not married okay. to that time period. But it's set. It's a sort of period young boy piece. and a what small What about the 1860s? Time. 1860s. The dream I love of the, a period piece. The dream of the 60s is alive. It's the dream of the night. time. Okay. Continue. All right. So my, my pitch is there's a young boy who he is kind of a, you know, he goes around. He's not really a bully, but... He doesn't care a lot about other kids. He doesn't care about what happens mm-hmm. to other people. He just wants what he wants. And, you know, he wants the, the latest toy. And so he makes a Christmas wish. You know, his mother tells him it's the first day of Chris. It's the first day of December. Make your Christmas wish and Santa will bring you your, what you want for Christmas. And so he yeah. makes a Christmas wish to get the coolest, nicest, best toy. For, the, for that season. I don't know what it may... Depending on the time period, it's going to be a different toy, right? But what happens is this wish, in his mind, sets off a series of terrible chain reactions, right? Where he wishes for this and then he goes to the store and he sees that people are fighting over it now. And that yeah. this spills over and it carries on into several areas of his life. And he realizes that he's made this terrible wish and he just starts hoping for it to be reversed. 
And in hoping for it and in talking to his parents and in trying to undo the harm that this, what he thinks is his wish has done on this world, he learns that the true meaning of Christmas is not about what you can get from others, but what you can give to others. And he gives back by helping the community, by going and cleaning up these messes that he's inadvertently created. So, so Jacob, he wishes for a toy, but then he hopes for world peace. Is this? That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going, Jesse. And so, in doing so, we're hitting on. Yep, it still is a. It still can be a period piece. It can still be about a young child coming of age, but it's going to dig into the actual themes and the actual meaning of Christmas, not just some weird, randomly not very connected stories. And that's the, that's what I want to see. That's the movie that I'm going to pitch for Lifetime to to make with Wishing and Hoping as the title. Jacob, I'm currently wishing and hoping that that was the movie that we just watched <laughs> because my mind still cannot wrap its head around the asphyxiation scene nor the head rolling scene or the baby Jesus being decapitated scene. Yeah, so there was just, a lot going on in that movie. A lot happening and i'm still not able i'm gonna need some time to process this one and it's i read the book too to try and help it (laughs) did not help didn't clarify did not help i do wish that we had more of the regulars as i said from Mm -hmm. the bus depot Mm -hmm. um you know a cindy cheesecake the go-go dancer (laughs) from the hoot and annie hoot it should have been in the movie but jacob where where does this movie fall for you let's check our list let's check it twice where does this movie fall in the rankings all right. Number so, one or number two? Which, <laughs> where, where are you putting it? I'm going to go a little bit below number two, Jesse. For me, for me, there's obviously number one is still going to be Always and Forever Christmas. It this will movie, always and forever. Yeah. This movie did one. not top Always and Forever Christmas nope. for me. It Unfortunately, I do really value the uh, inclusion of so many actual scenes of Christmas. So like uh, the mm-hmm. Tableau Vivant, I really enjoyed. I thought yeah. that it was great that they were bringing back this actual meaning of Christmas, but yeah. it didn't bring back the spirit Just to of dismiss Christmas it. for me. Yeah, it didn't yeah. bring back the, the spirit, the feel of being at Christmas that I want yeah. these Lifetime movies to evoke. So for me, Jesse, this is coming in number seven. I'm putting, putting it underneath Every Day is Christmas, yeah, above... Twelve Men of Christmas, another movie that really didn't capture the spirit of the holidays. Yeah, you know, interestingly, I think this is sort of the dividing line of like actually showing Christmas. Yeah. Right. You know, do you actually see Christmas happen? You know, and is that that central to what we're seeing? There's also like it's a double thing. Like, how well do you execute the movie? Mm-hmm. And and you know, do we actually learn something about Christmas? And I think this one had a lot of lot of things going for it. It was taking some swings. We love ambition here. Right. You know, on the pod. But yeah, it's going to come in at number seven, I think, Jacob. You're right. Better than 12 Men of Christmas. Yeah. For actually getting the religious <laughs> details correct. They didn't, um, they below didn't flagrantly. Else for dismissing them. They didn't flagrantly abuse the 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> so I know that's, that's going to, that's going to bring it up for you above 12 Men of it Christmas. Does. Oh, we still yet to see a good one. But well, we, we still have like 77 more to go. So. <laughs> yeah. We're, this is, we're an eighth of the way there, Jesse. Yeah, this is great. 16%. Let's do it. Lock it in. All right. Wait, whoa, whoa, Jesse. What? Did you hear that? Okay. It sounded like there were, there were chains rattling on the stairs. <laughs> that can only mean one thing. 
Uh, it's the, the Ghost of Christmas Future, Jacob. Ghost of Christmas Future. You know, Jacob, can we retitle this? Can we just pause for a minute before we get into the sequence? If you tell me segment. right now you're going to bridge this down to one ghost, <laughs> I'm going to lose my mind. Could we just retitle it to the Unnecessary Ghost of Christmas <laughs> get Future? Out, get out of the podcast, Jesse. You're fired. Everyone, I'm looking for a new co-host for my podcast. Must have read and enjoyed a Christmas Carol. All right. Must think three ghosts necessary. Jacob, what about just, can we call it just the Marley's ghost? The very necessary Marley's ghost, which convinces you of the afterlife. (laughs) All right. Well, Ghost of Christmas Future. What movie are we watching next week, Jacob? Next week, we are watching a film called Twinkle All the Way. And Mm. L.com describes it thusly. Sarah Drew left her career as a doctor on Grey's Anatomy to start a new life as a wedding planner at the Snowview Lodge, which is a downgrade from last year when she played a tech genius in Christmas Pen Pals. No doubt we'll see that movie somewhere down the list. Yeah. Work brings her in contact with fellow single parent Henry, who runs a Christmas decoration company. I mean, someone has to, right? Now, if they were in small-town Vermont, then maybe... (laughs) Jacob, Jacob, no, 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 no. Well, first of all, it It was was, Vermont. It was Vermont. It it was Vermont. But here's the thing that you're missing. Yeah. Okay. The thing you're missing is these Christmas decoration companies. I think he's doing some work for the Littles. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's smart houses. His niche niche is doing Christmas decoration just for smart homes. That makes sense. As they conspire, king in the automation. As they conspire to make the best Christmas Eve wedding party ever. A well-timed snowstorm helps them find true Christmas magic. Jesse, I'm excited for this one. It seems like we're going to get back to the spirit of Christmas, which is romance movies. Jacob, not only the romance, which of course I'm looking for and was not in this movie at all, that we, but also, look, Christmas decorations, yeah. you, know, you know we love tinsel, we love ornaments, we're looking for that pickle ornament, a little Midwest flavor. What is the, the local ornaments we're going to be getting here? I'm hoping that it has as much detail and an ambitious swings as this one, but is actually a Christmas movie. I'm just That's stoked. what I think we're I'm, looking for. I'm stoked to get back to the romance between single parents where the kids are involved, which we have not seen, Jesse, in like Jacob. five movies. Jacob, Parent Trap, it's happening. <laughs> I'm Parent Trap for it, it up. I love Parent <laughs> Trap. Did I, did I tell you my Parent Trap story? Do we, do we have time for this? Do you know my Real parent quick, trap story? I don't, I don't know your parent trap story. This is a digression, of course, from yeah. the point of this, which is next week we're watching Twinkle All the Way. But my children, my my youngest daughter, during a very important work Zoom call during the pandemic, had just watched, because Disney Plus had just came out, uh, you know, just started its service, mm-hmm. had just watched the original Parent Trap and decided to try and parent trap myself and my wife and poured water on my head. You are you are married, so this was I unnecessary. am married. It was unnecessary, but poured water on my head as a prank uh-huh. because pranks make your parents love each other more. <laughs> so she was just trying to help us out. There you and go. I think Jesse the true meaning of Christmas. I think the funders took it really well. <laughs> so it was, it was perhaps the the worst phone call to do that too, but I got parent trapped during a oh, very man. important Zoom call. Jesse, wait so, till the NAACP funny. hears about this one. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's so versatile a catchphrase. Let's just end it there. All right. I love you, Jacob. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. So it ends up with Felix as the baby Jesus. Christmas of a lifetime. Christmas of a lifetime.
Yes. Okay, let me finish this thought. And then I'll be up and this will be a very special Christmas for you, me, and KKP. All right, so we'll just have to. Have